Hello and welcome to episode 253 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And this episode is called Around the Indie World. There's a good chunk of what we're going to be talking about uh, is Nintendo's latest Indie World Showcase, including impressions of multiple tiles from the presentation, Fez, There's No Game Wrong Dimension, uh, the demo of the upcoming Aerial Knights Never Yield. Uh, plus, we're going to talk about some not indie third-party stuff, news big, small, and licensed with uh, the Great Ace Attorney, uh, those rumors of Microsoft doing something with the Switch, and of all things, a Hot Wheels game. Angel, you're going to have to explain that one when we get to it, because that's all you. Um, but yeah, there are timestamps available for all the topics on the blog post um, at ramtown.com. But with uh, so many of these episodes, topics tying into Indie World, we could just get right into it. Let's just start there. I mean, Indie World is about a week and a change ago at this point. Uh, what did you guys think of it? Or Angel, what, let's start with you, I guess. What did you think of it? What did I think of it? That's such a very deep question. Mm-hmm. Um I think for the first time in a long time, I was, (laughs) my eyes were pleasant. My eyes were happy um, with what they were seeing. I don't know. I think, um, I don't know. Yeah. For the past couple of years, I feel like we've, you know, we've joked around around, we've joked about around here, the, the RC2D platformer. Mm -hmm. I think for a while, like we started getting a shift to a simplistic 3D puzzler which there's still plenty of, but it feels like now we're starting to get into more action-y style games. Just actually, yeah, there's so many action style games, like 3D action games, but they all have, for the most part, very different art direction. And I don't know, it was just interesting to see. Like, overall, I could say that just about every game like that appeared, I, at the very least, was like, oh, this looks neat. At the like, you know, even if it's just like on a visual level, like I probably don't see myself playing too many of these. Some just seem cool, but I don't know it's just nice seeing the diversity. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, stuff like I mean, if anything, I guess the other thing that kind of took me off guard was just um hearing the devs talk about like the Aztec Forgotten Gods, um just because he was speaking in Spanish, and I was like, oh, mm. that's kind of cool. It was just mm-hmm. nice seeing like a uh, a devs from Mexico. Like talk about their games and just think like what they can put out. I mean, the game looks interesting just from what little we saw, just like, you know, blending the ancient civilization, like, I guess, theme with a super future high tech world. It's almost like a, I don't know, like I remember Jason and I were talking about this and Jason brought up how it's kind of similar to the other. Yeah. Like, I guess. It reminds um, me of Raji. Culture, action, yeah. Yeah, there seems to be so, this, like, cloth cut now, of, which is cool, um, but it's it's a good thing. Like, both have kind of a similar pre- uh, premise of expressing a developer's culture through the lens of, like, a God of War, Prince of Persia-style action game. So, like, Raji, what I was saying to you at the time was, you know, Raji's Indian culture, Aztec's obviously Mexican culture, like you're saying, but the idea of kind of like putting it through the funnel of like, all right, well, how we teach about culture that doesn't have a lot of representation in gaming necessarily. Let's do it through this kind of lens is cool. Like, cause Raji did it really well. Like it kind of blended traditional Indian myth and religion. Aztec seems like a kind of, it's doing that, but also being futuristic. So it's being a little more, uh, its own thing, but it is cool that like, you know, if, if other cultures like yeah, hopped on this I, bandwagon, I, I'm cool with like an Epcot of action adventure games going forward. Like that'd be fine with me. <laughs> like, I think it's a really cool. Yeah. And just, and keep it unique because, I mean, like we mentioned, both of these, like Raji and Aztec, are very different, like, aesthetically. But, yeah, at the end of the day, they're both 
action-oriented games. You know, and then mm-hmm. there were pretty much any of the games from, like, I don't know what it's called. I'm going to butcher the name, Anapoma. I know that's not it. I think Anapoma. Uh, Anapurna. Anapurna. Interactive. Anapurna. Yeah. Anapurna, yeah. yeah. Anapoma, I think, is a deli near my house. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe they're making games now. Yeah, like, they could know, be indie. But, you know, the the, the stuff like they're putting out as well is also just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Just visually. Um, you know, some of them, like, could be fun. But, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Overall, I'm pretty pleased. I'm surprised you didn't name drop or even bring up your favorite franchise gang a game in the presentation. Ninja Turtles. Shredder's oh, Revenge. Change Ninja yeah. Turtles Shredder's Revenge. I mean, I guess because it's pretty much in... It, it was created as a as a beat-em-up, which is, I would say, my least favorite genre of video game. Um, you could, I, you would almost never catch me playing a beat-em-up game on my own. The only reason I would ever consider playing one is if we have like a group of friends that really want to play it and I'm not going to be the one to go against the majority in something like that. So I, I would just end up playing it as a result, even if I, it's Ninja Turtles. Kevin, how do you feel about BM-ups? Because I was going to say I'm actually in the same boat, but I don't know if we're weird or if we're actually more normal than we think. Like, Do you like old school beat-em-ups, Kevin? Uh, I mean, the only beat-em-up that I ever really played was Turtles in Time um, and that Which awful this is a Turtles in Time to. remake. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Ubisoft one? Yeah, the Ubisoft one. Yeah, because I mean, like... Oh, yeah, go for it. Uh, wait, how did you feel about that Turtles in Time remake? I never played it. <laughs> like, played I didn't... It? Okay. Yeah, I didn't even... Be... I mean, well, your bro- I, I, I acknowledge it existed. I think your brother played it, right? Yeah. I don't think so either, because neither of us owned it. Or maybe really? we okay. did? Because... But... I remember it yeah, feeling we... completely off. Like when we played it, we we're like, something is very, very off about this game. And Maybe you guys your brother played it, was defending but... it a little bit. Oh, we played it for like a level. But aside from that beat em up, the only <laughs> other one that I really played was Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, mm. uh, mm-hmm. the game. And that one was really fun. But uh, aside from that, I really don't play beat em ups. It, Scott Pilgrim's a bit modern, yeah, like... right? Like compared to like the early 90s ones where like. Because Scott Pilgrim, was there like a leveling system or experience or anything like that? Or was it just straight up you beat um up and nothing else happens? I believe you do level up, but I, I think you get like some some mm. like uh, abilities yeah. that you that you grab or something like that. I, I don't remember the game too well. Uh, that game was really hard at some point It's back on too. Switch now too for anyone that wants to check it out. Um, hey, I mean, there but, has to be some kind of like meet to the combat, which at yeah. that point like – because, you know, because you could argue, like, you know, games like Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, God of War, like, they're kind of beat-em-ups, but I guess, you know, they also have, like, their own, like, skill tree. You you don't end the game with the same moves you started with. Right. The beat-em-ups that I'm, like, specifically referring to are mainly those arcade ones where you never learn any new moves. It's literally the same attacks you do all the way <laughs> from the beginning, all the way to the end. I just get really bored of them, like, really, really fast, which is kind I'm... of the same reason I don't really play a lot of the dynasty style games just because you know they could be fun i mean i'm sure they're obviously very popular i mean obviously the ninja turtle arcade game like turtles in time it's like one of the most highly regarded arcade games and as much as i love ninja turtles i kind of like to think i'm a pretty big ninja turtle fan um <laughs> understatement yeah, of it's, the like, decade, I'll, yeah. <laughs> it's like i'll like i'll buy these games like i have i think just about every ninja turtle arcade style beat-em-up game but I'll maybe play for like ten minutes and I'll be over it. But you know, if I'm but when you're playing with a group of friends, like more like case in point, 
like Jason and I and two other friends were playing through Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Yeah. Um, that one you do get some new moves down the line. Um, but and it has day, some like light exploration of levels, although we're speed running it. And it has some mechanics for leveling up. And it like it has their strategies for group attacks. Like it has a little more to it, which I. But the, yeah, the, the, there's some depth to it, but I don't feel really incentivized to learn it. Like I just, I don't know. Mm. It, it, it kind of ends up like suffering from the same problems because a lot of the attacks they do, like they don't feel like they have any weight to them. Like you're kind of just throwing out attacks and. I mean, yeah, the combos connect or don't connect. I mean, they, you're going to go through your whole... I could just keep mashing the same button and pretty much like everything, like I guess, is uh, unreactive to what you do, I guess we'll say. Sure. I don't know. Everything is I don't know, fun to play with the friends, but yeah, I otherwise I never would have. The only I... one that I think I played through and enjoyed recently-ish is probably Castle Crashers because that's definitely a beat-em-up. Mm. But I don't know what it was about that one that, like, you know, separated it. Because, you know, I also, I do love games like Contra and, you know, like, I guess arcade shooters. I don't know, like, because, you know, that's like, different. for the most no, part, different. like, even though, like, you can, in theory, like, you know, play through the whole, you know, or Metal Slug. Like, you do get, like, the, you could play with the machine gun the whole time. In theory, the controls never evolve from what you play in the beginning. But, I don't know, I just find them more fun. Maybe it is the fact that. You do pick up weapons at random intervals, and it does kind of change up. That's the what's game different. Time time. Yeah, I think, but but yeah, I mean, Turtles in Time. I mean, or this game, the Ninja Turtle one. Like, just Better. looking at the footage, it does look like the combat is maybe just deep enough that it's not as basic as the original ones. But I can be excited about it. Um, like the other Ninja Turtle games from Konami that we played on the GameCube with my brother. Like, those, you did learn new moves, you evolve your skill tree, blah, blah, blah. Like, it does get deeper over time, and that was really fun. The first one didn't have any of that, but I think because it was the first Ninja Turtle game in a while, and it was 3D, we kind of just powered through it. And, you know, like I said, if you're playing it with someone else, it's always a little more fun, even if the combat is kind of simplistic. Because, you know, like, when we're playing Marvel Tournament Alliance, I feel like I'm more engaged in the conversation we're having with our friends and the actual game itself. Oh, I for sure I mean, am. Like when I started I mean, trying literally... to attack a boss with my bare hands when I'm supposed to use a Gatling gun, I didn't even notice because I was too busy talking to you guys. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> I can be bothered to time my super when I'm supposed to use it. I literally just trigger it the moment I get it. Well, just see, the but game see, me. but see, that's, that's the thing. You're like, oh, well the game, like I don't have the motivation to like strat, you know, like I don't, there's no strategy. I just use the attacks and plow through. That's because you're not playing the game like how they intended it. And I think that's a slight because difference. It, because it makes no difference because we're still plowing yeah. through the whole thing. But I think, I think that's like, the difference. I, have, I, haven't, I haven't had to like be like, oh, man, I should save my super because then I could avoid this situation. Is it more like, nope, it didn't matter because we still like melt their health bars. But, yeah. yeah, that's also because we leveled yeah. up beyond what they recommend. But no, I was going to say, I think that's the difference between um, like something like Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 and the early night like, ups. Like I do get why people are hyped if they were fans of Turtles in Time and, like, the game has a ton of personality, Shredder's Revenge, like, it looks oh, yeah. fun. I mean, visually, but, like, like, they did yeah. everything right. Like, like it looks like it has, like, it, it looks like fun to, like, engage with, not necessarily fun to play, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. yeah, but I think the difference is with, like, to me at least, and I thought it was crazy, when I was good, when I started to pose this question to you guys, like, oh, what do you think of BM-ups? I was really worried I was going to be the weird one that didn't like BM-ups. But I think the difference between, like, Marvel Ultimate Alliance or Turtles in Time is, you're right, Marvel Ultimate, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, we don't need to necessarily play it how they intend to still win. But the option's there. 
I feel like the early 90s beat-em-ups, to your point, Angel, don't have the option of, you could play it this way, you could play it that way. It's just, this is how you play it, and it's just kind of rote and repetitive, and I guess there's yeah, different but, buttons you can hit, but that's it. Like, that's literally it. There's but no, if the like, mobility, structure. If the, but, I mean, if the combat or something about the mobility was just slightly altered in Marvel 2 Metal Lions, I feel like I'd be more incentivized to try to learn it, but mm. I already don't really like how it feels to attack, mm, or I how see. it feels to, like, yeah. use some of these special moves, that it's just kind of like... Yeah, it's I don't know. It feels more of a hindrance. Like literally, the fact we're chatting and laughing about how many bad decisions or how we're not using moves at the right time makes it is making it for me, or is like keeping me sure, from sure. I guess completely dropping it. Yeah, I guess it's still. Though, I mean, I already. Can, have, I was just to right. say, I guess it's still though to me is a step up from like the early '90s beat-ups because like the thing. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, because, like, the, yeah, the I, thing I, that, I like, that. and I'm wondering how Strategy Revenge will handle this, but the thing that, like, to your point about, you know, Mel Slugger, Shears, like, Contra, is, like, there's variety, right? Like, beam up, I, there's no thinking, really, with beam ups. Like, it's not like you're like, oh, on this enemy, I should use this attack, because he's going to use that attack. I mean, a little of that, but it's not like a fighting game where you're trying to, like, play mental chess with someone. It's just, do I hit A, B, or A plus B, or whatever. Like, even, like, side scroll. You could yeah. argue, like, all games of that era, like, side-scrollers. Oh, well, you're just moving and jumping. But, like, when you move and when you jump, uh, like, there's some structure to it. Yeah, this is really just like, way – exactly. And this is just waves of enemies yeah. and then more waves of enemies and like maybe I'm, some more. So, Like, I'm definitely looking forward to eventually getting um, Ghost and Goblins Resurrection just because that one is pretty much, like, yeah, you're just running and jumping and shooting the whole time. But you pretty much have to do everything perfectly. Like, you have to learn the level design. You have to know – Exactly when you have to jump, exactly when you have to halt or use your fully committal jump that they gave Arthur. But that's right. well, you know, you can't change your aerial momentum once you leave the ground, which is, you know, it's a pretty big deal in 2D side scrollers where it's more mm-hmm. norm. But I, I, yeah, that's, that's pretty I, much right. I thought. I was going to say, I will say, it was surprising to see a brand as big as Ninja Turtles pop up in the presentation. Like, I get why. The publisher, Dotemu or whatever, Dotemu, whatever their name is, they're considered an indie. Their last release, which also was an existing license, Streets of Rage 4, is considered indie. It's kind of like how House of the Dead remake popped up in the presentation. Like, yes, it's a yeah, Sega IP, but now it's a dormant one that an indie is sort of taking the reins of. The same thing happened with Wonder Boy. But it was still a little jarring to see, like, major Nickelodeon IP be shown along, like, some actual underdogs, like, actual indie games. You know what I mean? Like, it was definitely... It, it was, it was definitely a normal a House of the Dead, right? What? It wasn't, like, a Typing of the Dead or something? No, it's straight-up House of the Dead. Yeah, it's a remake of the original. And I'm curious to see if they're going to use pointer controls or motion controls or sticks or what, but they're... You know, putting it on Switch, it, one of the things that I feel like the Wii was very underappreciated for mm. was good light gun games. I mean, Ghost Squad's a lot of fun. They had the Zapper, they had Link's Crossbow Train. Like, the Switch has all the same tech. So if this is the start of some sort of light gun renaissance, sure, let's do it. Like, that'd be that'd be cool, I think. Um, but I do think, like, just in general, it was it was interesting to see how brands within the presentation are now, like, able to carry the show itself. And I mean, like, you know, it used to be... It used to be we had multiple years um, with before Indie World was Indie World where everything was Nindies. Remember that? Like the Nindie brand. And on some level, I do kind of miss that. Um, granted, for, for the show, it's hard to do punny titles for episodes about the presentation. Like you can't do around the Nindies like you do around the Indie World. Um, and admittedly, the name doesn't actually work when so many of the games shown or in this case all the games shown are available across multiple platforms. Like I think this is the first 
Indie World Showcase where the press release didn't say exclusive or first on Switch anywhere. Like, all of it is cross-platform. But, like, what I thought was interesting... Oh, really? You, none of it was exclusive? Yeah. Uh, none of it is fully exclusive. Yeah. No. There were some that were like, oh, it launched on Switch on this day, or maybe it'll come to Switch on that day, or this before that, but... I, I control left did a search for the in the press release. It doesn't say exclusive. It doesn't say first on Switch. It doesn't say console exclusive or console first. The word first is nowhere in the press release. So How does um, that make you feel yeah. as your um, Nintendo's um, Ashley Simpson? <laughs> um, do, well, I do think you wish they had a stranglehold more on some kind of exclusivity? Or you're I like, you know think, what? Um, it doesn't matter because the Switch version is probably still going to sell the best. It's a good question. Well, I think it kind of goes back to what I was starting to say about brands almost. I think we're at the point where – I mean it would help if they had some exclusives maybe, but I don't know if the presentation needs the exclusives. I think indies are a powerhouse enough that like – like they were nindies at one point because they needed some sort of umbrella to put them all under to get people to care. But now these games are so big that just getting them on your system, exclusive or not, is like enough. You know what I mean? Like the fact that they – Obviously, you know, TMNT and House of Dead are brands that are, like, known to the general populace. But I'm talking about the way they, like, closed out the show with Oxenfree 2. They teased it the exact same way that a sequel to a major third-party release would be teased. And the reaction online seemed pretty strong among that fan base. And then, you know, they describe, like, Ollie Ollie World as, like, hey, you know Ollie Ollie. You played Ollie Ollie. This is the same type of game but with a story in an open world. And, like, they can make that statement. And the game sold so much, like, both the first and second, that people know what that means. And I think there's some sort of threat, there's some sort of line that was crossed at some point. I'm not entirely sure when, where it doesn't necessarily matter. Like, oh, we have this indie game. You need to check out because it's only on Switch. They can go, no, we have the biggest names in indie games on Switch, and we're debuting them here in the Nintendo like bubble. So like, you probably want to be on Switch because we got all the hottest games lined up. And at that point, it doesn't even matter if they're exclusive necessarily. They're like at the forefront of the indie conversation for so many indie brands, quote unquote, now. Which I find very interesting considering they spent so long trying to just be like, no, 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 we got our little Nindy like thing. It's our own custom little bubble over here. Now they're literally leading the conversation with so many indie games. And and to your point, I mean you even mentioned Annapurna Interactive, right? They had a whole segment in the presentation that just boiled down to like, hey, look at what Annapurna's up to. Like, you know, you have all their games are on Switch, they're pretty great. You want more of them? Well, they're also on Switch and they're also pretty great. And and you know that to me, I thought it was interesting that the, like the publisher, like an indie dev house, basically is now has the name recognition that could carry part of the weight of the show, whether or not it's exclusive. Which I thought was kind of you know a little different from what um, we've seen on the indie scene up to this point. And for me, I was really excited about that because uh, you kind of mentioned they have some interesting games, but I I love every Annapurna game I played, which to be fair has only been what remains of Ian Finch and Sayonara Wild Hearts. So we're talking two games, but they, they're both excellent. And having a whole segment where they show yeah, these other two collection games. collection of that on the PS4. Yeah, yeah. It's really slick looking. It's like a Criterion collection, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. That's kind of my point. Is, so PS4 is the, the Criterion collection of Annapurna, but Annapurna is debuting entirely new projects on the Switch broadcast. So even if it comes to the others, the association is being made up front, which I think is you know pretty powerful in its own right, whether or not it's actually exclusive. So like the two games they showed, there was one called Hindsight, which looks kind of like it falls in Edith Finch's footsteps. It's about learning about family's past through like playable memories. Uh, that instantly uh, piqued my interest because you know the framing of it. It was so you know it, it just seemed like Edith Finch in spirit, which is cool, like spiritual successor. And then they had this other game called Last Stop, um, and it's this game about three folks and how they handle uh, sort of a supernatural incident that occurs and kind of it through each of their perspective. 
And again, knowing Aunt Perrin's involved, like, would I have necessarily batten an eye at that? I don't know, but they have my attention now because their name's attached. So it, it, it's very much how, like, I don't know if you guys are the same way, but whenever A24 puts out, like, a movie trailer or, or a movie, I'm always like, oh, it's an A24 project? Oh, this got to be good. And usually the trailers are super good, and I've yet to be disappointed by any of the movies that followed them. Um, like, I don't know if there's an indie studio that you guys feel the same way about or if Annapurna and I just have that sort of special connection. But tie A24 to anything off the top of my head. Um, Spring Breakers, Ex Machina, um, I think... What's the one with Natalie Portman going into the woods? Into the... Uh, Annihilation? Eagle? I don't think that's A24. Annihilation is... Oh, it's just the same director, right? Yeah, same director. Yeah. Uh, A24, Midsommar, Hereditary, oh, yeah, they did yeah. The Witch, The Lighthouse. I have an A24 shirt. I ordered See, on the website. Oh, the V... Oh, the Vivich. Yeah, the Vivich. But, 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 yeah, I don't know, like... I mean, obviously, A24 is a movie studio, but... um. Yeah, like it's it's weird. I'm not used to having an a indie not even an indie studio, but just a game studio where I'm instantly like, Okay, yeah, just sign me up. I have no idea what the game's about, but I'll play it. Like obviously on some level Nintendo, but even that I feel like I'm a little more critical than Annapurna. Like is is there one for you guys? Like I, I don't even know what it would be. When it comes to an mm. indie studio? Yeah, or just like just yeah. like not not that I can think off the top of my head. I'm sure there is a studio, an indie studio, that I'm like, oh, man, a new game by these guys is going to be awesome. But I just literally can't think of one right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've said something like that, but, I mean, I do – I always look forward to whatever Edmund McMillan puts out just because, you know, I love Super Meat Boy, The End is Nigh, Binding of Isaac. I feel like Way Forward comes close to that for you, Angel, or at least did in the early – in the Nindy mm-hmm. days. It's less Way Forward and more the franchise they decide mm-hmm. to put out. right. Like, if it's a Shantae game, I'll be excited. But even then, I haven't even played The Seven Sirens. I don't know what it was about the game or something, but I was it, it just fell into my, I'll play it eventually bucket instead of my, I need to play it right now. Which right, right. I feel like in the past used to be what it be, would be for Shantae. If anything, the only other franchise where I was like, oh, I need to get this game one was the Mighty Flip, the Mighty series. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it was Mighty Flip Champs, Mighty... Switch Force or Switch Force Two or Mighty Milky Way, like those are all really cool. Like not if they do to, anything with that, but not. But you know, for like anyone if, that's unclear, not Mighty Number no. Nine. Different studio, different quality. Oh, yeah. But I mean, they've put out many of the games that I mean, they put out the Mummy. I know it's a quality game, but right. I haven't bothered with it. And I know they also put out some other dinosaur shooting one and the Mega Vitamin. So yeah. Oh, you mean uh, Vitamin Mighty Switch Force? Yeah. Yeah, so... Vimin Connection, yeah, I, um, I think, is actually on sale at the moment. I don't know if the sale is going to be true by the time this episode goes up, but I think it's like 30% off, so... I've yeah, heard for me, it's more franchises off. than anything. Gotcha. I can't yeah, think of anything I, of that, because, you know, like... I mean, like, what we're going to talk about later, like, Ace Attorney, like, oh, that's the one I have to automatically get. Right. because I already sent documents, and, like, by law, I have to... By law, you sign yeah. documents. It's, yeah, you, know you have what? a I contract like with maybe, Capcom. Maybe, like, now, especially after how much I loved it... <laughs> Maybe Supergiant. Oh, that that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like even if they don't do a new Hades, but just something else, you're just on board from the pedigree. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think I honestly, the way Hades was received, I expect there to be a lot of people on that boat. I think whatever they put out next is going to be huge. Like it's Mm going to skyrocket up the indie charts. 
Like ba- Bastion uh-huh. was really cool too. I didn't play much of it, but I remember that being very, very charmed by that game. What was the other one they have? They have Bastion, they have Hades. Is it Transistor? Transistor, Transistor? yeah. Right. I believe that also played that on one? Switch. Though. Yeah, they have everything Dude. on Switch right now. No, I didn't play that one. I believe it was like one of the PS4's launch games that was for free. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure, and I just never picked it up. Gotcha. Well, hey, if you really love them that much, you can always go back in time. Although I'm, oh, they also did I'm, I'm saying you could do that. I never do that, even with music. Like if I like a band, I'll listen to their new stuff and everything going forward. But I rarely like go backwards. I don't know why. It's super weird. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I, I do think um, you know to, to Angel, kind of back to your question. Um, so yeah, I think exclusives, you know, they, they don't hurt. But just having the brands and having the brands be the thing that can draw people to the indie presentations. And having the brands just be indies themselves, like that, that I think is really powerful for Nintendo. And I think the benefit of um, that is in many ways it elevates all the games around them, right? Like if people are tuning in to see if Hollow Knight Silk Song is going to finally show up, which no, it's not. I don't know if anyone knows, but Indie World never shows the same game twice. You're never going to see it again in there. You're never going to see Sports Story again in there. It's one and done. But anyway, um, it's uh, if they're, you know, they're going to tune in to see a surprise like Oxenfree 2 or Ollie Ollie World and also props to whoever put Ali Ali Oxen free in the same presentation. But anyway, you know, they will then see these little projects and they will and those little projects get to kind of like mooch off the spotlight of the bigger ones. And one in particular that really seemed to take advantage of this was uh the Endless Runner Aerial Knights Never Yield, which was a game that, let's be honest, I don't necessarily think would be on very many people's radars if it didn't get that profile boost in the showcase, let alone a demo uh after on the eShop and that's not a knock against it, um, but I'm just thinking how easily this thing would get buried if it was a press release and a random YouTube trailer. Like the odds someone will see a thumbnail or a press release about an endless side-scrolling runner and go, oh, now this I have to see, is for better or worse pretty slim. In the, you know, to your point, Andrew, about the um, – always joking about the 2D artsy platformers. I mean this it, – it's, it looks like a dime a dozen type of thing, but Nintendo – Gave the game a chance to breathe, and its developer, who goes by the name Ariel Knight, um, you know, he got a chance to explain his struggle to get it made, and talked about how it ties into his hometown Detroit, and it, you know, it's it's a sort of neo Tokyo esque futuristic version of Detroit, but it's still Detroit. And then um, to get to hear some of the game soundtrack, and they talk about how a local Detroit uh, native named, who goes by the name at least uh, Danime Sama, is doing all the music, like that kind of human story, is something they were able to use to make it more compelling for people to check this out even though it doesn't have the brand recognition or the exclusivity or anything necessary that really is going to do it, but you're already there for the other brands and the other things. So like in, in, in the case of this, at least for me, it did get me kind of curious. Um, so the first thing I did after the presentation was I went and downloaded Never Yield, uh, the demo, and, you know, let's see what Nintendo sees in this. Let's see how this guy, Ariel Knight, that's his online name at least, you know, uh, let's see how this very clear passion he has translates into an actual game. And, you know, it, it is an endless runner at the end of the day, but it does have some stuff going for it. I think, first off, um, it's very stylish in the same way that you would look at Runner 3 and see how it leans all the way in on, like, whimsy. This game just kind of oozes, like, coolness. It, a big component of it is in the soundtrack, uh, but also the cel-shaded graphics, the way it, it kind of intersperses small cutscenes in between segments to tell a bit of a story, all through visuals, no dialogue. Uh, even the way the character moves, where it's more like parkouring through like a cyberpunkish world and the surveillance, surveillance state and all that, and just kind of 
you know, that's more interesting than just running for the sake of running. So it gave the game kind of personality right from the start that a lot of runners maybe don't have. Um, and then gameplay-wise, it does feel pretty familiar to those who know the genre, to be fair. Like, not, not to, again, compare it to Runner 3, but you're given a set of very similar moves, map teach button. You can jump over mm-hmm. stuff, short hop over smaller stuff, slide, dash. Uh, that last one's used to run outrun enemy drones and stuff like that. And as you approach obstacles, the game kind of color codes it. So red, for example, means you jump, while yellow means you dash, and you just like, kind of see the glow around the object and know what what move to make. And in the demo, there are two speeds you can go, so to speak. Uh, if you play the regular difficulty, the game does kind of a stylish slow-mo every time you approach something that requires a move. Uh, but flip it to hard, and suddenly you know the whole experience speeds up, and now it's more like following the rhythm of the music than just the on-screen cues. Plus, it has more obstacles added, so it feels a lot more like a challenge than the main demo, which is admittedly a little on the easy side. But the initial gameplay is promising. Like it, 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 it's a bit familiar, but it's promising. And where I think it really has a potential shine is in um, you know, its presentation and music, which is where I get the impression Ariel Knight and his composer's passions are really going to kind of shine through. Like I don't, I don't think the gameplay is going to be super innovative by any means, but I think they're going to make a compelling experience through the presentation and kind of what, what it tells, the story it tells. And uh, that – the fact that I'm able to talk about this game and have these impressions and all that, again, stems from the fact that they were able to pair it with things that are actually of interest and put it in a presentation that people tune into. And now this guy who couldn't make his game happen is going to make his game happen. And Neveryield also had the advantage of being one of the few shadow drops that occurred right after the presentation, um, which weirdly fitting – each of us has our eye on a different shadow drop or have been playing a different shadow drop. There are four, and I think all four in some capacity have connected with us. Uh, like, Kevin, I we haven't even gotten to what you thought of the indie world, but you have a highlight from it, right, Fez? Uh, I wouldn't call it necessarily a highlight just because I didn't see it in the indie world presentation because I didn't even know that that had happened. Well, okay. Ox- yeah, you Nintendo know what? not you know marketing these things out very well. You know what else we haven't acknowledged besides you not watching indie world? Welcome back. You vanished. We did a power hour without you, but now here you are again. So welcome back. Oh, yeah. I was. Oh, oh yeah. the power hours was, was excellent, by the way. Oh, thank great. you. Thank you. I was able to pass the time at work much, much better. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I I didn't even know that Indie World happened. I remember opening up my Switch, and then all of a sudden Fez was on it, and I said, you know what? I have tried to play Fez forever. Uh, I'm pretty sure I had it, like, on three platforms already, maybe even four. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Switch is going to be the perfect place to, to play it. Um, yeah, so I've been playing Fest for a little bit, maybe about, I'm uh, only about four or five hours in it. But for those that don't know, because this game has been out since like 2013, maybe oh, a little I bit think, later. I think even earlier, it might be 2012. It's like 11. 2012? When did Indie Game It's like 11 or 9 years old or something like that. What? When did when did Indie Game the movie come out? Uh, I don't know. All I know is that was one of the very early Xbox 360 um, indie games, like Xbox it Live de- Arcade. It, nope, it definitely wasn't. Wasn't it? Nope. I think you're thinking of Braid. No, I think they both were. Nope, because Braid, Braid Braid had been out for years when Indie Game the movie came out, and Fez was still in development when Indie Game the movie came out. I'm looking this up. the movie mainly, follow, yeah, mainly look, followed look on the Super Meat Boy one, but... I know I'm, not, uh, I know I'm not wrong on this. Fez originally was an Xbox exclusive when it came out. It came out in... It's not, but... 20... Yep. 
And it was in 2012. I'm reading his Wikipedia. It came out on Xbox 360, April 13, 2012. Fez. When did the Xbox Uh, 360 Bill Fish, its founder and designer, um, was in Indie Game, the movie, also in 2012. Xbox 360, to your point, came out years before that, yeah. And yep. in Xbox Live oh, Arcade. 2005? Oh, so seven years. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, okay. it definitely was I was right, it was on Xbox was... first. I was right, it was on Xbox first. That, everything you else didn't was wrong. say that it was on Xbox first. You just said, oh, it's, it was one of the early Xbox uh, arcade games. Yeah, yeah. You're wrong a lot. Anyway, how is Fez, Kevin? Tell me about this game. <laughs> like, I'll be damned if I get something wrong. <laughs> no, that, that was fair. That was fair. I. I uh, I would eat my hat if I was wearing one. Yeah, so if you didn't see... Uh, oh, uh, speaking of hats, Fez. Uh, oh, so look you at guys that. Didn't see, yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, if you didn't see Indie World like I did, uh, and you'd have no idea what this game is about, it's a pixel art 2D puzzle side-scroller, but with an incredibly creative mechanic. So you play as this little guy named Gomez, so very fitting that I was yeah. going to like this game. And at the start of the game, it plays just like any 2D side-scroller would. And you, like, traverse Gomez's small little village. And at the peak of this village, you receive the titular fez. Which, if you don't know what a fez is, it's like this little cap with a tassel on it. Um, and also the best character in that 70s show. And when you receive that fez... <laughs> it's also what uh, the Shriers wear, if you know those little guys. Those little guys that ride around the little cars. The What? I think they're called Shriers, aren't they? I think, I think you're talking about the bit in The Simpsons where there's no, like it's a not. No, no, no. That bit's based on re- that bit is based on reality. Yeah, the Shriers are a real thing. Right. What's a Shrier? I only I know. I think it's called Shrier. I only know of the Shri- Jason Shrier. The Shriers but... where the the Shriers where the hobbits live. No, <laughs> that's, that's a that's, that's a, exactly a that's a Shire. Uh, yes. The, oh, sorry. The Shriners, not the Shriers. The Shriners. I still Shriners. don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if you look up Shriners, it's a bunch of old white oh, dudes in no fezes. Sense. That's all you need to know. Hold on, the Shriners. Now I gotta look this up. The Shriners? Oh, well, I all I see is the Shriners Hospital for Children. Yeah, they're they're wearing little fezes. Yeah. Is that what Man, you're Man, just about? like completely off the rails as soon as we started going into – yeah, I'm talking about – I think they um, – Yeah, maybe that, it was yeah. better if I'm not on the podcast so that we won't be on any <laughs> tangents. Wait you, wait, you think this is be- this is worse structured than the Power Hour was? We, I think, went like seven I mean, the tangents power deep. It was at least fun to listen to. I don't know. Anybody was going to have a great time <laughs> listening to us go off. Um, That's fair. But anyways, That's Fez. So – you receive the Fez, and then the game does, like, a little reset, a la... What was that one game on the GameCube that everybody loves that never got a sequel? There's a few uh, of them. Eternal Darkness. Ghost in the House? Oh, Eternal Darkness. Eternal Darkness. What? Wait, Angel, what did you say? Go- ghost in the ghost, House? Ghost in, ghost in the House. Are you thinking, yeah, the I, I can't tell if you're thinking of Cory in the House, which is a TV show, or Geist, which Geist. is a video game. No, okay. definitely, definitely not Geist. But, uh, so when the game resets, all of a sudden you are able to, uh, shift perspective. So you have the power to rotate the, per- the perspective of the 2D plane, the 2D axis that you're on, uh, left and right. You can't do it up and down, but, um, that'll give you 
a new, I was going to say a new perspective on the world, but that'll give you a new perspective of this world that you will then use to traverse different levels. So for instance, you might be like on a short platform that you can just barely walk to the left or right of, but with uh, a click of the shoulder button, you will then rotate the plane and realize that that short platform is actually a very long bridge. You're simply looking at it from the front and not from the side. Um, mm. yeah. Kind of reminds me of uh, Captain Toad in how you're describing it. Yeah, exactly. But this is just uh, Captain Toad was like isometric, right? <laughs> Whoa, shots fired. Captain Toad is wonderful and how dare you do that. But uh, Captain mm. Toad was, was isometric, right? Uh, it was never yes. – you never looked at it from just just like mm-hmm. a 90-degree angle essentially. Yeah, so that's that, – That is true, yeah. Yeah. Um, just like uh, Captain Toad, this world is technically 3D because like at the beginning of the game when you are uh, just going up and down the village, when – or like you wake up in bed and you go outside and you get like this panning shot of the village and then when the game resets – you have, like, this 3D uh, panning shot of the village where you see, like, every angle of the village, essentially. Minus the the top and bottom, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and so, using this mechanic, you'll be shifting constantly to get to, like, higher grounds, to just get to another side of an area. Um, it's kind of wild. So, like, and it's also very paradoxical. Like, at one point, uh, you'll have to get to an objective, which is right above you on a platform, right? But, oh, and the way that that you get up there is, like, there will be three platforms off to your left and right that you can jump on and to the right to get to higher ground. And so you'll just go, like, up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right. And so now you're on even level with that platform that has the objective on it. But now you're too far away to make the jump to get on there. So you'll just switch the perspective. And all of a sudden you realize that that last platform that you're on is actually connected to the platform that you need to get on. Um, Mm. It's very hard Mm. to explain. A quick little video on YouTube will make this make more sense than what I'm saying right now. Um, uh, And I didn't really talk about the objectives. Like you are collecting these little cubes that are scattered across the levels. And when you collect eight of them they form a very big cube that will then unlock new areas for you to explore. Um, as someone who has, like, bemoans the trend of pixel art games in the more recent years, and the way that Angel was making it sound earlier with, like, all these indie 2D games, this one... Yeah. yeah this one is definitely an exception because of how, like, incredibly charming its uh, visuals and level art is. Uh... Like, the level design is full of little touches where they add, like, actual depth to the 2D surfaces, making it look 3D instead of going the route of faking that depth by making, you know, some pixels a little bit darker, a little bit lighter. No, they're actual 3D objects, which I think is incredible. And you kind of see this in the indie game of the movie when you see them designing, like, each block. They're they're all, like, handcrafted. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um... The music for the game is very, very soothing. It's one game where I, I talked about it when we were talking about it, uh, Monster Hunter, where I never play the games with sound on, and I always play the game with the uh, sound on when I'm playing Fez because it's just so calming. And hmm. calm is like the perfect word to describe this game because like there are no enemies, 
there are hazards that you do have to get around. But, like, even if you do die to one of these hazards, you, like, immediately revive. You immediately respawn. And there is no life system. Um, so what I like to do with this game is, like, right before I go to bed, I will load up Fez and play a level or two. And it's just so peaceful and, like, it puts me in a good mood right before I go to bed, which is great. If there is one thing that, like, I didn't like, it's the fact that you can get lost pretty easily... Especially during the beginning when you kind of have to figure out your bearings and you're still, like, messing with, you know, the, the shifting mechanic. Because there will be doors, like, you know, against the against the house. And, like, when you go into it, you, oh, you're in a house. But then later levels will just have these random doors that will transport you to other levels. And it's very easy to just keep going through doors and just be maybe four or or like five levels away from the level that you were originally in that you still haven't completed. Um, but like, hmm. aside from that... Uh, I'm just and, picturing and, like Monsters, Inc., basically. The ending of Monsters, Inc., but... Yeah, that... Yeah, that's actually not a bad way to look at it now that I think about it. Good um, job, Jason. Thanks, thanks. I worked hard on that one. On the floor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm having a lot of fun with it. You definitely check it out. It's... It... Got its sequel canceled because Phil Fish was like run off Twitter. Um, yep. So which makes me wonder, like, how d- who's behind this one? Like, what company is he still involved? Like, there's so many questions, but <laughs> no. Um, crap! What whatever happened to this thing? I because the company it's yeah. Kind of wondering why it's here. Like, did. Well, it's just like an opportunity. I mean, there's so many just, older indie games that are just showing up. Like, yeah. Well, this it was is made by a small that. team, but they did have a publisher. Polytron so I think, or I think something, the, right? Polytron, yeah. I think yeah. Polytron is was just, you know, doing the publishing side of it, of course. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's just a publisher thing. Right, uh, right. Yeah, that's okay. Fez for now, I guess. Nice, yeah, and it's uh, for anyone wondering, it is fifteen dollars on the eShop, so it's right up there with the price it probably had eleven years ago. <laughs> but it sounds like it's worth it based on what you're saying. Yeah, it's super fun. And I mean, uh, it, I mean it doesn't age, so yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's the Nintendo philosophy. You can keep selling it at the same price; doesn't matter. Um, which brings us to the next Shadow Drop that happened. Um, it's kind of funny because Kevin, you you got a game that shadow drop but didn't know it came but didn't like watch indie world meanwhile angel you watched indie world but have a game that shadow dropped that you haven't bought yet but are looking at right like the, the longing right yeah i mean of all the games that one definitely caught my eye the most i mean it definitely falls into the artsy 2d category but the i guess the game's the mechanic or i guess it's like the the whole point of the game i guess is to wait which, that's why, like, I am I guess it's kind of why, like, I haven't gotten it yet. Like, I haven't really decided if it's something I really want to play. I'm just very intrigued by its premise. Because mm-hmm. the idea that you're supposed to wait, how many days is it? Like, or 400 real-time days? I think it's 400 days. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So, 400 real-time days. And you could spend those days, you know, actually playing the game, solving its puzzles, doing, just interacting with it. Or you could literally just wait 400 days later and see what happens. And I don't, I don't know. That just it just seemed interesting. It was like I don't think I've ever heard of a game doing that. It 
And it, it, and it almost made me curious, like, what is at the end of the 400 days that they feel like is going to be worth the wait? Because, you know, you run into that problem where this thing, New Super Mario Brothers 2, or like, grab a million coins and see what happens. Oh, my God, what are they <laughs> going to be? A million coins? That's such a big task. Oh, you get a Mario statue on your title screen. It's like, oh, I get the same thrill from what, just seeing what it looks like on YouTube. But, Which means zero. Thing, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. If it was difficult to do, then yeah, I'd probably do that. You know, it's like little badge of honor. It's like no different than getting the the black flag in New Super Mario Brothers U for mm-hmm. being 100%ing the whole thing or whatever. But this one is like, I don't know what it is. And I kind of don't want to spoil that for myself in case I ever do feel like going through it. Because that's literally like a year and a month about. Like yeah. it's not going to be something that happens soon. And Obviously, like, time traveling is going to probably deflate, I guess, that feeling as well. But I don't know. Well, it, it's it's funny because when they intrigued when they first said, oh, it takes 400 real days for like whatever the king awakening means. It takes 400 real days for the king to awaken. Um, so, you know, for the game to end, as you're saying, I was I remember initially thinking watching the presentation, like, that's crazy. Like 400 days playing the same game. And then I realized that's literally been the pandemic. So basically, it's a whole nother pandemic's length of time, which, you know, people have been playing stuff every day for 400 days. Animal Crossing comes to mind. So maybe it's not so crazy of an idea. You might have more more uh, to it than, than uh, yeah. you know. I mean, plus, you don't have to play it every day. So yeah. yeah. But it is interesting how the game, like, from what I saw in the footage, it seems like it's really kind of like, it's not Animal Crossing. I mean, it's it's. I think oh, no. I think it's a point and click adventure, but it's much more. It's very laid back in a similar way. Like you can like go explore. You can. I think they have like a bunch of classic, like legit, like real classic public domain literature, like Moby Dick. That like I don't know if you can read or the character can read or what, but there's like all these books you can read to keep yourself occupied. Like it's 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 interesting how it's the whole game is a very sort of laid back, but in a very different way from Animal Crossing type of laid back experience. Yeah. So I'd I'd be curious if you end up getting so, it what you uh think of it in four hundred days when it's over. Yeah, we'll see if I end up getting it, but um at the very least I thought it was just the most unique looking one, at least just from a gameplay perspective. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, the other well, ones are either narrative driven stories, which Annapurna, even if they are very high quality, I feel right. like they're a very like if it's an indie game, it's either going to be that kind of game, or I, I don't even know what else to think of off the top of my head. Like some kind of platformer. I I but, will slightly challenge your most unique game comment with the Shadow Drop that I checked out, which is sort of a Venn diagram of your guys' two games because it's a port of a release from other platforms, in this case PC and mobile, and it too, like the Longing, is a point and click game, kind of. Uh, there is no game Wrong Dimension. And oh, that one is pretty unique. Yeah. But only because I've already seen that game before. It was like, oh, it's just a Switch port of this which game kids play on the computer. Which, which it totally is. Um, but yeah, this this one, I'll I'll I'm in, I thought it was really cool. Um, it's a bit tricky to talk about because the mechanics and the concepts of the game are quite literally the story of the game. So there may be some light spoilers here, but I'm going to do my best to not say too much about any you know, any individual, individual, I can't even talk, puzzle or concept just at the highest level. Like, this is a game about games. It parodies other games and genres. It parodies their mechanics, the platforms they're on, really the framework of how they're built and how you interact with them. 
And uh, even though it was only in the showcase for like 30 seconds maybe, there was enough of that theme that just instantly caught my attention. It, it, it gave me a, almost a WarioWare type vibe, contrary to it being billed as a point-and-click adventure. And once I finally got it and downloaded it and first booted it up, it did actually really feel like WarioWare. You're engaging and basically breaking title screens and menus. You're just interacting them with a simple touch in handheld mode or if you're playing on the TV or with the Joy-Cons, um, you know, with an on-screen pointer. It's in the same sort of way that WarioWare has you only have one core action and sort of unravel it into so many different ways to interact. Like right off the bat, you take the exclamation mark of the tile logo, use its dot to play Brick Breaker with the logo, and then you pretty much destroy the entire tile screen through Brick Breaker, all using the point-and-click just touch things interface. You just touch and drag the, the exclamation mark. Um, and generally speaking, I am kind of a total sucker for this idea of like a simple, a single simple input being used in wildly different ways. Um, I think in many ways, this might, I don't know if this is a hot take, but to me, it feels like one of the most creative types of game. Um, like I love how what the golf was able to take, you know, the swing meter of a golfing game and build so much wackiness and unexpected gameplay around it. Or to a lesser extent, a few years prior, Pool Panic did something similar where um, the idea of hitting a cue ball was built down to a full adventure game where that dynamic of hitting the cue ball could be used in so many different ways to interact with the world. So like here, um, the corner action is really what amounts to an inventory-based point-and-click adventure. All you're doing is touching stuff to interact with it, and through those interactions, you're acquiring items to then use to solve puzzles. But the items aren't, like, normal items. You know, like, at one point, you're maybe playing a LucasArts-style point-and-click adventure, and your on-screen menu items end up being the items you use to take apart the backdrop of the game world to advance yourself. Or you're in another chapter and there's like kind of a mobile game ad pop-up. And it's the object in the ad that's actually what you need to solve the puzzle behind the ad in the actual game world. And that's the sort of like out-of-the-box kind of approach they take with uh, There Is No Game. Like literally anything that the game puts on screen is fair game for its gameplay. So you need to think past the usual convention of like what is UI versus what's in-game. It's more about manipulating kind of the framework of how everything's presented and the framework of each genre and its tropes and just kind of making it fit, like making things work that shouldn't work, making things – sort of forcing things in ways that you know in a normal game wouldn't be impossible. And what's interesting is even at times they will have normal, regular, traditional gameplay of those genres, but you're playing them through the point-and-click interface, which is actually kind of cool. And what's really cool about it is that the developers are constantly um, playing with what all these interactions can mean. So again, without spoiling too much, like each chapter of the game toys with the idea of breaking the game in a different way. So the LucasArts theme chapter I mentioned, that's probably the most traditional point-and-click approach, fittingly, uh, since that's their genre. Uh, and that's mostly focusing on moving objects around. Then the next chapter, which is kind of a Zelda riff with some very specific references, um, that tends to toy more with the idea of manipulating objects that are in the game world. And the one after that dives into like free-to-play and clicker games and has the point-and-click interface actually be used straight up as a clicker game interface. Uh, and the creativity really just kind of keeps you on your toes. But again, I think what works so well is that it all builds on the same control mechanism of a point-and-click game. You touch something, you interact with it. Maybe you then get an item out of it for your inventory, which you then can touch and put on something else to use in some other way. It's just kind of that sort of pattern. And they just do some really wild stuff with it, which is really cool. And what ties it all together is this narrative in which you, as the user, are just trying to get into a game that insists it's not a game. The game literally speaks directly to you, fully voiced, about how it's not really a game and you should just go away. But pretty soon, things take a weird turn and you're introduced to a glitch that is 
infecting all sorts of programs on the system and ends up sucking you and the game that's not a game into this kind of wormhole of different experiences that are also glitching out. That's all I really say about the plot in terms of details, but it has a lot of layers to it. There's actually kind of a meta narrative about the actual development of There Is No Game, which from my understanding, started as a Flash game, then had a crowdsourcing campaign that didn't work out, um, and then found some other way to get funding. But anyway, there's like there's a few yeah, layers. You got all that story. from that. What? You got all of that from playing it. That's pretty cool. Well, they make a couple comments, and then I was like, huh. So I looked it up. <laughs> um, no. But for the most part, like this, it all like combines like the story elements, the gameplay elements. It all works really well. Um, it's definitely a comedy. A lot of the jokes aren't like laugh out loud. Uh, out loud hilarious but i did like chuckle at a good number of them and there's a lot of gaming references like basically you know the gif like captain america saying like i understood that reference that was me for the entire playthrough like everything like oh that's that reference and oh that's that and that's that oh man i could totally Um, be doing that out loud too no what do you think i sit alone with my switch just sitting on the couch in handheld just being like i understood that reference every five seconds 100 percent yes yeah actually i probably did that a couple times you're probably right but anyway um i will admit that uh, as you get into the later parts of the game, it isn't quite as creative as the earlier parts because, you know, there, there's a lot they do with point and click, but also there's always so much you can do with point and click. And because it's a 2D-driven experience, um, a lot of the more modern game industry stuff is, you know, can't be commented on in a direct way. It's also been on the shorter side. Uh, it took me, you know, about five hours to make it through the whole thing. But um, I can see... I can actually see now I think about it, some people, even though, you know, it is a little on the shorter side, getting a little frustrated that kind of tries to speed you through things. Like the – the um, it's a little heavy-handed with its puzzles and that the narrator, the, the game that claims it's not a game, is constantly talking about what you need to try to do. He doesn't ever outright say it, but he doesn't give many puzzles much room to breathe either. So even, even though there is an actually really good hint system – that does a good job if you want help of nudging you in the right direction. The the narrator, like, you, you, it's like 10 seconds. He's like, oh, well, about, you know, you need to try something like this. And it's like, okay, okay. So that, for some people, may actually speed up the experience even more that already is kind of quick. And and also, like any point click, it's worth knowing that not all puzzles are equal here. Some are very quick to figure out. Some require some stretches of logic or some much more out-of-the-box thinking. But for the most part, like there is no game is a very clever, fun experience. And even though it does lean on so many existing tropes and ideas from gaming, the way it brings it all together, the way it kind of toys with what even makes a point click adventure a point click adventure, like it definitely stands out as a pretty unique experience. It's uh, thirteen bucks on the eShop. If it sounds up your alley, I recommend it. I don't think if you don't like point clicks whatsoever or some sort of you know narrative driven more linear experience, you're gonna immediately gravitate to this. But if you, if, you know if those are in your real house, then yeah, this is this is a really cool, really cool experience that I would recommend. Um, what's also nice about it though, for me, is that it kind of reminded me that point and clicks as a genre check many of the boxes of what I've been looking for since playing Edith Finch. Like I've said a few times on the show uh, that I have had, I don't know what to call it, like almost like a spiritual awakening of sorts about this idea of like more narrative-driven yet still interactive yet kind of linear experiences. So like the new thing I really like, like the new genre. And it turns out much to my stupidity, it's not new at all. Like point-and-click games have always been that. So it was kind of thing that as I was playing There Is No Game and having my little mini yet obvious epiphany, in comes Capcom announcing game you already name-dropped earlier in the show, uh, Angel, which is you know a brand-new entry in their point-and-click series, or at least new to the West, The Great Ace Attorney yeah. Chronicles. 
definitely not new. Yeah, it's it's actually like five. Unfortunate. And, I think it's like five years old, right? Like because it was out in Japan and like on the DS. Mm-hmm. No, 3DS. 3DS or 3DS. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's um. So this yeah. new one, Grace Turning Chronicles, compilation of both the original Phoenix Wright spinoff and its sequel, that somehow never made it out of Japan. And I mean that I I was kind of like, oh, huh, look at that. But I imagine that must have made your week, Angel. I mean that is your franchise right there. Yeah, it's um. It always kind of made sense why it took them so long to bring it over, or if they were going to bring it over at all, just because of the kind of writing dilemma. I guess they had put themselves in. Because Ace Attorney, you know, takes place in, I guess, here in the West, it takes place in Los Angeles or, you know, Japangeles or whatever. Because, mm-hmm. you know, here, like, any any reference to Japan or Tokyo is gone. Like, we're in L.A. here. And, in, you know, in Japan, you know, it obviously takes place in Japan. And the great Ace Attorney follows, like, Phoenix Wright's, like, great, like, ancestor. Mm-hmm. So, you know... There were apparently um, defense attorneys as well. And I guess they were kind of like, uh, do we just suddenly say that, yeah, like Phoenix, I guess his ancestors immigrated from Japan or something? Like, not that there was anything wrong with that, but I guess they probably wanted to find a just a nice way to localize it. And I guess it finally do you happen? Do you think that's what out? held it back, or do you think there are concerns about I, other things, or like, or if it would step on the toes it, it, of Leighton versus Phoenix, which also is partly set in Britain, or you know, definitely like not. Okay. Um, I mean, if there was anything else, it's probably just like because you know, like they went out of their way to get rid of, like to just try to make it as like USA friendly as possible, for lack of a better term. True. And because this game like takes place in like rural Japan, and it's you know all about like that time period, I guess, like, they were probably thinking, like, oh, like, this just might not gel with U.S. audiences, so they just, you know, just probably just never bothered import, like, yeah. That's so weird. It's such an, like, like, archaic mindset these days. Like, I feel like that's a mindset of, like, the 90s, you know? Yeah. Like, 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 oh, it's too common Back in the day? Like, you know, like, Nintendo not bringing over, like, you know, Captain Air, like, some games that we might think are too weird. Yeah. Or, yeah, we may not like them, and... Ace Attorney as a franchise has already been, like, not in the forefront of Capcom. Like, I mean, to give you an example, like, Ace Attorney 4, um, Apollo Justice. Like, that one, yeah, we got it released here in the U.S., but for the most part, Japan gets, like, nice collector's editions with statues, big boxes, soundtracks, like, everything. Right. And then when we got Ace Attorney 5, Dual Destinies, same thing. They got a collector's edition over there, nice boxes, everything. It was just a digital download here. That was it. It's definitely and more niche Attorney... in the West. That's for sure. Yeah. And then and same thing with Ace Attorney 6, Spirit of Justice. Um, we also just got a digital download for that. Nothing else. And they got the whole shebang. And after that, we pretty much just got um, nothing for a while. That was pretty much like the end of Ace Attorney here in the U.S. Because that's where, I guess, um, Phoenix's story F left off. And then they just started going into the Ancestor stuff where they met. I guess. I mean, they over did. There in Japan, to be fair to Capcom, it was actually did, Sherlock Holmes. They did re, they did re-release one, two, and three like seven times over between six and now. Oh yeah, nauseum. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they brought <laughs> yeah, it over. They so. pretty much ported it to everything. If it if it can yeah. turn on, it will have Ace Attorney. In fact, they ported uh, it to Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. So there's going to be a version of the game called Turnabout Edition where you get one, two, and three and Great Ace Attorney Chronicles in the same package for sixty bucks. So they're even pouring it to another version of the same franchise. <laughs> 
That yeah. seems like a great deal. It actually is a super good deal because that's yeah. a ton you of content yeah, it, at a very cheap price. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird that it doesn't... Well, actually, no, it's fine. I just kind of wish like those bundles like, also included, like Ace Attorney 4. I mean, or, or maybe they could just do another... Or... Something, yeah, it's it's. Well, but I mean, it's hard more, to complain but... when they're giving you the equivalent. Of, yeah, yeah, like, no, yeah it's fine. I mean, five chapters. Of story. I mean, Greatest Attorney is as, I mean, it's a prequel, and even then, it's like so far removed chronologically from the main theory from the other games that they could easily stand on their own. But yeah, I mean, I I, I would like to see like four, five, and six put in their own bundle. I mean, I don't even know if I'm gonna get. I mean, I got one, two, and three again on my iPad. I have it on the Wii and on DS. I have it twice on DS because I have like one in their cases unopened, and then I also have just the cartridges alone. So you're that why was also they like keep the only way they would have find them. You're the one that keeps quadruple dipping. Oh, makes sense. But now that we're actually getting a it physical release of this one, I've like, oh, Kingdom Hearts one like five times already. But you have like a you have like yeah. a serious Kingdom Hearts problem in general. I guess Angels is the same with Ace Attorney. <laughs> it was a little different. Like they had a reason. Like because when I first played Ace Attorney, it was just a game I saw for a discount on GameStop. It was used, so it was just a cartridge. And at the time, um, Capcom had forgotten Ace Attorney existed, so finding these games were really hard. I was literally only able to find them in just a cartridge. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they ported them to the Wii, and that's how I got my. Oh, and then I played most of them that way because by that point I still couldn't find one, two, and three on a cartridge. But my brother wanted to play them on a cartridge because he wanted to play them in their original form. He refused to play them on the Wii. So I decided to hunt them down. And I eventually got him to play all three of them on a cartridge. And then they eventually, I guess, suddenly decided, hey, let's just start reviving this franchise. And they re-released all the games in brand new boxes. And, well, I mean, it's the same box if it's re-released. But yeah, that was awesome because yeah. now I got to have a, a nice, squeaky, clean version of them if if it makes you but, feel better when you're doing the hunt when they first released phoenix right it was near impossible to find too i remember like there's all this buzz on like game forms like this game's actually pretty good and the only place i ever saw it was when i was on a trip to new york and i went to nintendo world now nintendo new york and i bought it there because it's the only place this was in la only place i ever saw it ever <laughs> so i actually remember holding one in my hands at a GameStop, like around the time it came out that and um, Trauma Center. But I remember dropping them just because I'm like, I don't want to play as a lawyer. That doesn't sound great. But like over 10 years later, I'd rediscover it and end up falling in love with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the point is, yeah, Greatest Attorney. Always wanted to play it, obviously, because any of the Ace Attorney games are just really fun. And this one just seemed quirky. I mean, it has Sherlock Holmes. At least in Japan, he was on as Sherlock Holmes. No, no, no. It has Sherlock Holmes. Flip the F. Well, yeah, in the yeah. in this version, you, you know the backstory of why they did that, right? It's actually kind of interesting. Um, so, isn't Sherlock Holmes like something they can't use here? So, kind of. So, what in happened the US, is it's like a legal thing. As a generic I mean, character, Sherlock Holmes is public domain, but the estate of an author that wrote some Sherlock Holmes stories evolved his character to have certain emotional traits because he came back from war and did this other stuff. And then Netflix made a movie about Sherlock Holmes' little sister, Nola Holmes, starring Millie Bobby Brown uh, last summer. And then the estate was like, oh, no, 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 that Sherlock has too many emotions. We're going to sue you because it's too much like our Sherlock because he's emotional. So they sued them. They ended up um, dropping the lawsuit. Supposedly they settled out of court maybe. But point is I think Capcom's now just really like, oh, if we show any emotion in our Sherlock Holmes, they're going to for sure come after us unless we call him that. And that's why 
he's Herlock Sholmes. And in 2023, that author's estate loses all the public domain. You know, you know, it's all public domain at that point, and Sherlock Holmes can be emotional again. But for now, for a couple of years, for legal – because they're scared of getting sued, people are avoiding using the name Herlock, uh, Sherlock Holmes, which is really odd. Yeah, I remember that. Like, I had to do like a double take because I remember like for kind of sort of keeping up with the original game that they came out just to kind of like get a feel for the premise. Yeah. And just seeing like, oh, it's Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And then over here, it's like, wait, like I had to like read it twice away. It's not Sherlock Holmes. It's Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. It, I, yeah, it just, remind, it just reminds me of um, World of Warcraft. Well, at least Hearthstone does is where, you know, they have a game called, I mean, a character called um, Harrison Jones <laughs> instead of, you know, Harrison. Right, right. And then, and, and then instead of, um, wow, what's that one woman with the Chihuahua, Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a character named Harris Pilton. You know, they I they do unironically that, but... love the fact that some games can be self aware enough to do something like Herlock Sholmes or or Hil- Harris Pilton or whatever you said. Like it just like at least it gets an Ace Attorney. At least it, rem- it reminded me because I haven't played since the original Ace Attorney. Like how funny and self aware the games are. Like it's no oh, man the pun names. Like, yeah, like I completely forgot about that. Like I enjoyed the first Ace Attorney. I sort of left the series behind for reasons I can't figure out. Um, and then, you know, I was getting back into the point and clicks. Personal and then, traumatic reasons. I know. Very, yes. Very, very personal. But yeah, and I saw Herlock Jones. I'm like, I'm buying this. Like, literally, that's what sold me on it. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, sorry, you're saying something else about Herlock. And I interjected. Uh, yeah, but I mean, in general, I mean, you can expect the same kind of courtroom battles. If anything, it looks like this one is taking a page from uh, Layden versus Phoenix, where it looks like you have like multiple people you have to testify against at the same time. Oh, the whole jury thing, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, that actually kind of cool because so, you have to sort of poke holes in each juror's logic, right, and then sort of get them to all agree. Like if one says one thing, you have yeah, to prove why the other one's right and they're wrong, or vice versa. It's like yeah, get layers. them to disagree yeah. or stuff like that. Yeah, it it's interesting, and you know, it, I've yet to be disappointed by an Ace Attorney game or any of the games in the franchise. I just kind of hope this is a sign that maybe we'll get like a shadow drop, even if it's just a loose like um, localization of um, the Miles Edgeworth Ace Attorney Investigations 2 because we never mm. got that sequel. If we got that, then we'd literally get like we'd be up to speed as far as all the games go. But I do hope this does well so that we can get, you know, a part seven or something because I do love the story and I do like where it ended, but you know, I'm always down for more. You, you may I mean, be on to seven games, six, seven, eight. I mean, we're eight games in 10. If you count the spinoff with Edgeworth, I mean, that's a lot of games in a franchise that I guess they could end it, but you know, they could also just go on with Apollo. He's like, still very young. Keep going. But yeah. I don't know. You may be on to something with the fan service, like doing investigations just to get the fan keep the fans happy. Because like one of the things I thought was interesting about this is they could have easily just slapped the two games in and called it Chronicles and called it a day, you know, the original and the sequel. But they're adding everything else that was released in relation to those games in Japan. So there's previously downloadable content. There's I think eight mini episodes are throwing in. There's videos. There's thirteen clips from some special thing they did that wasn't even a game it's called like seven days of sin or something there's alternate costumes there's an art gallery there's all this extra stuff that they really seem to be like yeah sorry guys we took a long time here let's make it up to you and if they're feeling that yeah, way even that the fans, mode that's like 
There's even the Jason mode where you don't have to like play the game. You could just sit back and watch the story, <laughs> yeah. basically. That honestly, along with Herlock, when I saw that in the trailer, that's what sort of set the light bulb off of like, oh yeah, Ace Attorney. That's the actually kind of thing I was looking for. Because not that I want to play, have it play itself, but the fact that the game is linear enough that it can play itself is straight up like kind of the thing that Ian Finch was or that you know Cyanar Wild Hearts is or what have you. So it was like right there, and I was like, ah, yeah, that, that makes sense. So. That is that sold me on it, even though I don't plan to do it as well as Herlock. But Kevin, well, were you ever yeah, into Ace Attorney? Definitely looking forward to it. No, I I've never played an Ace Attorney game before. I will say, I will say, there was one thing about that series that pissed me off, and it had mm. to do with the North American cover art. It might be also for uh, what's the other what's the other regions that uh, it's like North America, PAL, 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 yeah, Which one's PAL, all the European ones, Europe, yeah, um. The cover art for the first three Ace Attorney games, uh, I believe Phoenix Wright is in big letters and then Ace Attorney is small. But when the Paul Justice came out, <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. they flipped it. That mm-hmm. boils my blood like nobody else. <laughs> you guys know Dude, how I'm much just, I hate I- inconsistency with this kind of, kind of thing. I, I know we talked about before, I'm the same way with game spines. It drives me crazy when a third party is like, you know what? Every other spine on the Switch or the Wii or the Wii, like, they just put the plain text for the logo. We're going to put a big snazzy one that's all, like, embossed. I'm like, no, that breaks the spines. Even though you're keeping the color, it breaks the spine. Do not do that. So I, I that's yep. way I mean, more it makes it better. I mean, Phoenix Wright was only I mean, Phoenix Wright was only big for the first one. The second and third one had Ace Attorney in big letters and Phoenix Wright. All tiny. Like after that, they were all just Ace Attorney, basically. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. Nonetheless, I mean, that still doesn't excuse I mean, it, but I think yeah, that's, it, I mean, that's, it make it a little better. This just sucks. one game that did it. At least yeah, they, they just course corrected um, sooner or made it worse sooner, depending on how you look at it. Made it yeah, worse. I mean, sooner. Ace Attorney makes more sense as the. Because I mean, not all of them like start. Oh yeah, just yeah, Phoenix, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, especially with Apollo, like he's definitely the main character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah and like, especially this one. I mean, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Ace Attorney uh, should have been should have been uh, front and center from the beginning, but eh. Oh yeah, that's definitely a really weird oversight. Plus, you know, you have the yeah, they should have done that. <laughs> well, living learn Capcom, but that actually Ace Attorney yeah. wasn't the only game that caught your eye, right, Angel? I know you're chomping at the bit to cover this one, so that rhetorical question was extra rhetorical. Please, um. Talk to us about Hot Wheels Unleashed. Um, there isn't much to say because uh, all I have to go by is just like a three-minute trailer that I saw. But man, if that three-minute trailer didn't like, or maybe it was less, it's like, like it didn't grab my attention <laughs> so much. Yeah. So, like I don't know, just by looking at the trailer, you could see like that the driving feels very. T- it's pretty much a it's a normal racing game, but. There wasn't any emphasis put on items, if any. I don't think there were any. It's, it looks almost like a mixture between, like, it looks like it feels somewhere between, like, F-Zero and um, Sonic and Oscar's Racing Transformed. Just the way the drifting looks, the way the boosts are placed, the way the tracks are very simplistic. Like, mm-hmm. it just looks like it's pure competitive arcade racing. And it just looks really, really fun. And visually, like, I don't know why, but, like, I've always loved, like, just that, like, small world aesthetic i mean i remember playing a lot of like that micro machines game on game boy color and this just kind of reminds me of like a big 3d version of that with you know another i guess licensed vehicle toy toy mm-hmm. licensed vehicle whatever 
And I don't know. I, I mean, I've just been really, I don't know. I, I really want like another racing game. I really wish, um, like I mentioned, Sonic also transformed was ported to the Switch in some way. Because Sonic Racing didn't exactly scratch that itch. So we're still kind of just stuck with Mario Kart. And yesterday, like, I even had the chance to play a lot of the Zero GX, which was really, really fun to go back to. Like, that's definitely one game that aged really well. Like, it, my nostalgia goggles for it were well-founded. Like, it still is just as fun and just as cool as I remembered. And this Hot Wheels game just kind of feels like it emanates that same kind of energy. Like, just the kind of, like, split-second racing, the close calls. I don't know. It just... It just looks great. I will most likely be getting it on the Switch. I know it comes out like in September, so a while from now. Yeah, September thirty. But it, it, but, but it definitely looks like a game that would definitely benefit just from being played like on the PS4, PS5. But you know, on the Switch, I will have more people I could play against. Unless it's crossplay, then I'll definitely get it on something else. I, I would. It could yeah, be. Keep it on They're putting a lot of effort into this thing. If Mario Kart just isn't cutting it for you anymore and you have, like, just another racer you want to play, definitely worth checking out, at least. I mean, Hot Wheels of all places, I wouldn't have guessed. I mean, we were so I, desperate for, like, a racing game that we were even eyeing the Cars game. But, oh, yeah, Cars 3. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we didn't pull the trigger, but, yeah, that's that's how bad it got. So I'm glad this one at least looks like quality. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, look, I, I it doesn't look like a cash it. grab. It, look, it looks like there is like some actual like passion going into this, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I I, to see. I watched the trailer. You you very early, like right after we recorded our last episode, like, guys, Hot Wheels. I'm going to talk about Hot Wheels. So I made sure to like do some research and look at Hot Wheels. I was really surprised at like how much the foundation looks for a good arcade racer in here. Like the weight of the cars, the drift mechanic. Um, I it, The footage I saw didn't yeah, show the very boost meter. Obstacles. I mean, it's pretty much like a – Yeah, the boost meter. Um, but yeah, they didn't really show obstacles or environmental hazards or even like forking roads in the trailer, but I imagine that's going to be in the final game. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's like 12 people online, the fact that, uh, it's going to have a track editor where you can actually like build your own Hot Wheel track. Like they are putting a lot of Which is very much Hot Wheels. Yeah. There's also have a livery editor where you can actually customize your Hot Wheels look, which could be very fun and very dangerous for online play. But, um, yeah, there's like a lot here that I'm really surprised this is not a typical cash grab type of game. From the looks of it, yeah, well, definitely. That's a game that I know for sure. I'll definitely be buying and talking about here. And we uh, look maybe forward we'll, to maybe it. We'll convince Jason to get it just so that we can do multiplayer. I'm down. I mean, I'm I'm sure. I'll commit to it right now. Unless the game gets like a three out of ten oh. from review reviewers, I'm down. If it gets review bombed, I mean, rightfully so, then yeah, maybe we'll reconsider. But but as it yeah, stands, yes, Kevin, you should get it too. We'll have a Hot Wheel party. It'll be great. I'm up for it. I'm, I'm looking at some gameplay right now. Right? Like, um, it looks surprisingly this, solid. Yeah. This, it's, honestly, it's, this wasn't what I was expecting, but uh, yeah. it's actually it, it's actually way more creative than what it's, I was expecting. I was expecting... Because I played... Um, crap. I, I Hot Wheels World Race on the PS2. And that was... Um, it, it was basically, like, just a standard racer. Um, but this is you're actually playing as little Hot Wheels, so I'm going to be honest. I did not think at any point in this Hot Wheel conversation there would be one of us saying, "Well, I've played the past Hot Wheel games," and let me tell you, <laughs> like I did not see that coming. But yeah, this one looks yeah, because Hot Wheel War looks yeah, 
like you said, it looks like you're just pick playing as like a normal looking car. But it's cool that these are like actual little tiny Hot I, Wheels I, toys that exist in real life too. But yeah. And I think one thing that helps is um, the developer knows what they're doing. They hired the people that do – I forgot the name of Stuart, but they hired the people that do um, MotoGP, like the motorcycle racing game. So they, they, you know, they cut their teeth on real quote-unquote racing. So yeah, I, I could see – this has some potential for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, while we're on the topic of things people want to talk about – we actually had a request for a topic of something to talk about. One of our listeners, Kurt, asked us for our takes on this fresh wave of rumors involving some sort of partnership between Microsoft and Nintendo. And uh, the idea of Microsoft doing Shout something with Nintendo – Yeah, thanks, Kurt. But the uh, idea of Microsoft doing something with Nintendo isn't new per se. And you know, we've seen them work together with Minecraft, Crossplay, Cuphead and Ori on Switch, Banjo-Kazooie and Smash Bros., um, like as weird as it is to see copyright Microsoft on the bottom of my Banjo-Kazooie Amiibo because, yes, that's the first Amiibo I bought in forever, but I did buy it. Um, it's kind of come, become the reality of the relationship between these companies, right? Like they, they have some sort of friendly thing going on. But there seems to be something more brewing as, as Kurt noted to us, and it's all thanks to a shelf. Have you guys been following the shelf saga at all? The what? The um, shelf saga. I guess not. Right. I'm, ass- I'm assuming uh, Phil Spencer has something in the background of the shelf, and that Good seems job. to apply that more big things are supposed to happen. Because he had the uh, Xbox Series S yes. on the shelf like months, months before, before. It yeah. And I can't believe no one oh, knows that. That's that the crazy thing. thing. Yeah. So, or he... like months months before it was revealed. Yeah, which is insane that no one went. What's that weird cube back there? What's that weird rectangle with a circle? But. Hey, but yeah, now it's a known thing that when there's something on the shelf, you pay attention. And uh, further pushing for that is uh, VentureBeat has a journalist named Jeff Grubb, who's really you know a well-connected guy. He knows things he doesn't know. He know, knows insiders. He's saying in the most recent video that Phil Spencer has done, everything on the shelf was a hint. And there's hints to like stuff from Kojima. There's hint, there's a switch. There's all sorts of stuff. And um, Sure enough, yeah, there was that switch. So it could mean a few things, right? Like maybe a first-party Xbox game is being ported to Switch. Something like, I don't know, Rare Replay would make sense. Or maybe Microsoft's going to give another character a Smash. Like Master Chief is in Fortnite, so why not in Smash? Maybe they're doing a Banjo-Kazooie remaster for Switch in partnership with Nintendo. Like do any of those sound plausible or interesting to you guys if they were to do any of those? Um, I mean, definitely the Banjo, anything Banjo-Kazooie related. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the one I'm yeah, gunning for as a remake. That's Give it to the me now. only one that Yeah, that's the only one that seems plausible. I know there's that those rumors of X Cloud. <laughs> Which is that is not an original well. so, Xbox so, property, but Yeah, it's isn't it weird how it comes full circle like that? But um yeah, so X Cloud. Yeah, that sounds you would think that's not plausible, but it's suddenly becoming more plausible by the day, which is so bizarre. Um it it seems like you know if they do Banjo on Smash or if they do Master Chief in, in Smash uh, – Banjo on Switch or Master Chief in Smash. There we go. Uh, it seems like it's part of a bigger picture. And I say that because it's no longer just Phil Spencer who has a Switch on his shelf. The Switch has now popped up on a different shelf by a different employee in a different Microsoft video. And that video very specifically was for an event about Microsoft's GameStack. And GameStack is Microsoft's dev tool and resource library for building Xbox games. 
It does include some stuff that's already Switch friendly. The Havoc physics engine, which is used by like Breath of the Wild and it used to be used by Smash Bros. Um, that is also part of the game, the game stack. But the bulk of the game stack is Microsoft's Azure Cloud. It's Xbox services for getting your games onto Xbox. So to your point, Kevin, that like there's those rumors of xCloud on Switch. I mean, they're kind of signaling there might be some sort of Game Pass xCloud on Switch. Like they put the Switch in the video about dev tools for Xbox. And, or, or, or hear me out. Uh-huh. People considering the sales of the Switch, these people just own Switches and it's just in the background. Oh, but this wasn't a, someone's house. This was a stage like set. All it had was an Xbox oh, okay. X, X and then a Switch above it on a different shelf and it was all backlit green. Okay. Otherwise, you'd be right, uh, and I think people would be reading too much into it. But it was like a very like professionally produced like studio video, and the idea of Game Pass on Switch is admittedly not new. I dug through our archives after Kurt sent us the question, and we actually first talked about it two years ago in episode one ninety one. And what's funny is like looking back at that or listening back to it, it's like such a big focus of our conversation was would Microsoft do it? Like, does it make sense for Microsoft? Because you know this was. When Cuphead and Ori for Switch were just rumors, they weren't official yet. This was before Game Pass was actually a readily available service for anyone. And it was, perhaps most notably, before Microsoft really demonstrated just how platform agnostic they're going to be. Like, they, they weren't yet going to the lengths of building a browser-based version of xCloud just to be able to get Game Pass on Apple devices, for example. Like, that wasn't even there yet. So I think, in my mind at least, the question of whether or not Microsoft would bring Xbox's Game Pass to other competing platforms, I feel like that's a yes at this point. Like, they would be open to it. Their game plan is very clearly to just expose the service to as many people as possible and build up the subscriber base however they can. Um, and, you know, even in the time since we last discussed it, both of you have become Game Pass subscribers, at least at one point. So I imagine you'd be down to have one on point. Switch. I think I still have I it, but I, I, I don't I, play any. I forgot to unsubscribe. So, so both of you have it out of uh, just circumstance. But if it was on Switch, would you, you would you take advantage of it while you had it out of circumstance, or are you totally over Game Pass? Game Pass, sure, but I don't. If there is a Microsoft service coming to the Switch, I don't think it's Game Pass. I I think it'd be X Cloud. Well, Game Pass is X Cloud. They're intertwined. I, that, uh, I should clarify. X, you're right. You're right. No, X Cloud um, is is yeah. Game Pass. I said that backwards. Yes, um, you can't do X Cloud. I don't think without Game Pass, unless you have an well, Xbox streaming uh, on your be, same Wi-Fi, right? Uh, correct. No, nice. I believe. No, I believe you can just because they also announced that uh, XCloud is coming to PC and Xbox. Mm. So I believe it's just streaming. It doesn't necessarily have to be from an Xbox. So if it's just okay, so yeah, I should clarify. So it's it would just be... a streaming service. That's all it is. It's a streaming service. Yeah, so it would be XCloud on Switch, which I imagine would mean they could put Game Pass on Switch because they just stream the games over. Yeah, you're not going to be able to download stuff to your Switch. I agree. Exactly. And when I say yeah. that Game Pass won't be coming on, I mean like you are not natively downloading yes, games onto your Switch. I 100% so, agree. It's going to be entirely so, xCloud-based. Yeah. yeah, theoretically, yeah, you will have Game Pass, but it will be through the form of xCloud. Right, which, you know, isn't that wild considering um, Control does that on Switch. Control and Hitman Hitman. 3 does that on Switch. Yeah. In Japan, Assassin's Creed and Resident Evil do that on Switch. Um, so w- would you – I mean I guess there's some minor latency issues if you were to do that, but assuming it's good enough, that seems like a kind of a cool way to experience some other games. I mean it always on depends go. on the game too for sure. Right, yeah. Like shooters won't work as well as say, I don't know, some slower-paced adventure game or whatever. 
But yeah, so my my um, question at this point, and based even based on how we what we were just saying, isn't so much like is is Microsoft going to put XCloud on Switch? That seems like they want to. My question is really whether Nintendo is actually down for XCloud on Switch. I mean, clearly, if something is brewing here, it seems like they are right. Uh, but the conversation when we last talked about this two years ago was so focused in the pa- uh, you know in that point in time in the past on why Microsoft would do it. We kind of didn't look at what it could mean for the Switch ecosystem. And to be clear, I don't mean like the library of exclusive Switch experiences. Like if I were to pull up the March MPD sales numbers right now, you know, Monster Hunter Rise is in the month's second best selling game. Super Mario 3D World's number four. Mario Kart 8's number eight. Animal Crossing or sorry, Mario Kart 8's number six. Animal Crossing's number eight. Mario 3D All Stars. Because it was about to get discontinued, was number nine. Like I would strongly wager, none of that would change if XCloud and Game Pass came to Switch. Because first and foremost, Switch is a Nintendo machine for Nintendo experiences, and Monster Hunter being the exception here, um, all those are first party. And even in the case of Monster Hunter, Nintendo practically markets only that for thing. a year, right? But then okay. it goes to PC and only PC. But Nintendo's marketing Monster Hunter at this point as if it's their own. It's been closely tied to them minus World ever since the 3DS. So like, you know, we I think that one would still be fine. Like seriously, if I if, if you drill down into the top 10 of Switch only software, every single game except Monster Hunter is a first party release. If you combine that with the fact that Switch once again was the top selling hardware for the month, then you know, perhaps people are uh, at least upfront buying Switches as Nintendo machines. There's not really a bold proclamation or anything to say that. That's just what it is. But once you have your Switch, once you start dabbling in third-party content and indie games, that's where I think Game Pass, xCloud, whatever you want to call it, could have an impact on Nintendo. Like, here's how it currently works. When you publish a game uh, to the eShop, whether you're Activision or WayForward, Nintendo will take a cut of every purchase made. The exact amount, I think, is under an NDA, but the general consensus seems to be it's about 30%, which is what Apple also does and other platforms also do. Um, actually, Nintendo's nicer than Apple. Apple charges 99 bucks just to have the license to be able to bring your game to their system or their service, their platform, iOS. Uh, Nintendo does it for free. But anyway, let's say the $30 or 30% is true. 30% of every single game sold on the eShop can become, can become a lot of money very quickly. Um, back in their January financials, Nintendo was saying that their digital sales generate 250 billion yen, which is the equivalent of 2 billion 316 million US dollars in just the nine months from April to the end of the year last year. And even though, you know, first-party games obviously were a big chunk of that. They saw gangbusters. You can't deny that a huge chunk of it is because of their slice of every eShop game sold. So if I'm Nintendo and I see Game Pass, one thing that's got to at least be on the forefront of my mind is what happens to all that money. Because right now, cloud games on Switch, they are a thing. And, you know, we just rattled off a couple. They're all streaming from a server, but... They're all individual purchases with individual eShop listings, meaning for Nintendo, they get individual chunks of change from each one of those games. Game Pass and xCloud, that's all through a single portal. And Nintendo won't necessarily get a direct cut of those individual games. So what's interesting to hypothesize um, is what does that mean, both for Nintendo and for some of the games that would be on the system. Obviously, for Nintendo, they could cut some deals some other way and get money from Microsoft, but what about, like, indies? Because Game Pass is a great way for indies to get some attention. Like, there's this game called Rain on Your Parade I stumbled across the other day in which you're a little rain cloud. Your literal job is just to rain on stuff. It kind of has, like, a Katamari vibe in that you sort of interact with the world and kind of 
run amok. And it launched, I think, simultaneously on Switch and Game Pass. And uh, the way I discovered it was by seeing a tweet from the developers who very excitedly, and rightfully so, uh, shared that the game was had over 150,000 players on Game Pass, which is great for them. That's really awesome. But to my broader point, if indies end up performing better on Game Pass than on the eShop, and if Game Pass subscriber numbers grow to whatever necessary factor, what's to stop a developer from deciding it's just easier to develop their one game for Game Pass, make it available for Switch that way, and that means less money for Nintendo, and perhaps more crucially, less accessibility for the broader Switch user base. So again, I'm just sort of spitballing here about what could happen with Game Pass. Um, this is actually the issue Apple had when uh, they tried to put Game Pass on iOS. They want each cloud-based Game Pass game to be individually listed so they can make money off each game. And they went so far when um, Xbox said no as blocking Game Pass entirely as an app. So now you have to play it in your browser. Um, but, you know, it's kind of an interesting question. Like, the, the Switch is thriving right now, and the indie scene is thriving. But if you bring in a thing with a flat rate, that does shake things up. And some games, of course, you know, won't be affected. Some games won't launch on Game Pass until a certain later release window, and thus they can still come to Switch as individual releases. Like, I think Crash 4, it's about time's a good example of that. Uh, thanks in large part to its Switch release, Activision saw it go from, like, number 256 on the charts in February to number 16 in March, and... That's something, you know, developers can do. They can have a game sell one way and then switch it later and get a secondary boost. So sure, and that can give, you know, switch the individual releases. And it's also, again, worth emphasizing, it's not like Microsoft is going to pay Nintendo to do this. Um, surely, surely there's some sort of bigger deal being concocted to ensure that Nintendo feels comfortable with whatever money they can make. Never mind the fact that for some people, maybe Game Pass itself is a system seller. Like perhaps some Xbox diehards will pick up a Switch Lite for 200 bucks because they want to stream Forza or whatever when they're on the go. And maybe maybe they'll get that new snazzy blue one that they just announced the other day. I don't know. But because it's all such new terrain, it's kind of interesting just to sort of think through the chess moves in a way. Like in the past, I know I've given pause for cloud-based services uh, because of the ideas of game ownership and preservation. But that's me as the end consumer. Like the economics of it for Nintendo, even just for individual developers and what Game Pass on Switch could mean for them and their reach – like it's just it's really interesting. So I, I think I think we're both right, Kevin, that uh, XCloud's gonna show up on Switch, and I don't know what that means for Switch, and I don't know what that means for the games. But it's kind of interesting just to think through all the like dominoes that fall the second they do that, and whether they fall in one direction or another, hard to say. But things are gonna change if it comes to Switch. It just that's just the nature of the business. So there's your answer. That's a non-answer, Kurt. Who knows? Unless I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts? Do you think it's gonna go one way or the other? Do you think I'm being overly dramatic? I don't know. I I honestly like for these kind of things. Like I just have no idea. Um, you definitely want to, as Jason just so eloquently put it. Um, I'm just gonna agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> eloquently, that's a nice way of saying talk for like 15 minutes straight. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh... <laughs> I mean, whatever. I mean, like if they do end up like going through with something like this, I do hope like Nintendo's just ready for this kind of thing. Maybe I mean, especially because like. For the first time ever, I've had my console actually straight up just, like, freeze up on me and put out this warning that says the console has become too hot. Um, we'll shut down until it cools down or something like that. Really? Your Switch? Um, yeah, my Switch has done that twice already. Once wow. when playing Monster Hunter, another time when playing um, Ring Fit Adventure. Ring Fit's and, not even that intense. Yeah, because the fans are... Yeah, I think the fans are just starting to give out. And... Mm. So I am like more so like now in the market for a new switch, 
even more like more than just like oh i just want a more powerful one like i just need one that will survive for a while like this one it just feels like it's on it's on its last legs so if they are ready to nothing more powerful yeah please do it soon and you know if it means um it'll play better with these kind of new services that could potentially appear then even better but yeah i do think as a nintendo only gamer the the potential that this has is really exciting because i'm not like, I'm not necessarily going to go buy an Xbox and go buy all these games. But, like, you know, if I do a couple months of Game Pass, I can at least dabble. Like, Forza Horizon is so fun. Like, I every I think I've said this on the show before, but every three day of Forza Horizon, I just go and play it for, like, a long time at the boot. Just because I'm never going to play it any other way, but it's really fun. Like, I'll just do a demo over and over. It's, like, the perfect arcade racer for me. So, if that's on Game Pass and that's on Switch, sure, sign me up. But, like, I'm not necessarily going to spend 300 bucks for that and then another 60 So... Yeah, I, th- I think there's some potential there, and I realize that flies in the face of all my concerns about ownership and preservation, but whatever. That's the way the industry's going. I've come to accept it. Hey, I mean, what, what about you, Ken? Do you think Do you think there's some interesting potential here? Um, if they bring xCloud to, uh, to Switch, yeah, absolutely, because I there are people out there that are Nintendo exclusive that don't get to play all these amazing games on other platforms as yourself. So mm-hmm. the fact that, yeah, you will finally be able to dabble into some other great games is very exciting. It's it's It makes it for a better community, I guess I would say. The fact yeah. that... Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's pro-gamer, I guess, is what I'm trying and to say. And that's something Phil Spencer is so big on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it, if it were to happen, it would happen under him. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, if there's ever a time that Nintendo would be open to something like this, like, it would be now. Like, this is the Nintendo that seems so at ease with partnerships with other companies. I mean, obviously Universal, Super Nintendo World, although that's now closed due to COVID. And then there's the Lego Mario toys, which now include Lego Luigi. And then, um, just to kind of put a period at the end of that thought, our final topic of today's show, there's a new partnership that's perhaps even more out there. But, again, shows Nintendo's flexibility of working with people now, which is a partnership with Fujifilm. Um, do you guys know their Instax printer at all and camera thing, Fujifilms? I thought that was like the actual form of the camera, and then I was like, oh, it's that's both. cool, but then I thought it was just a case, so I was like less motivated. Well, well, to, to, to dissect what you said a little, so um, yeah, so Fujifilm makes these little self-contained cameras and printers with Polaroid-style pictures that you can like physically print out. Um, it uses it actually uses heat so cool, to press the images, which is kind of interesting. I didn't realize that. So they're in real time. You don't need to shake them out like a Polaroid. They're just ready. And yeah, they um, are now doing a collaboration with Nintendo where they are – the thing you're talking about, I think, Angel, is they're slapping a Pikachu frame around one of their Instax uh, mini links, which is one of their printers. You get for 120 bucks. They're also going to make a Switch color-schemed Instax mini printer for 100 bucks. That uh, it's, it's basically gray, but it has like a little hint of red and blue like the Switch. Um, but yeah, the idea is they're doing all this because what you're going to be able to do is use their Instax Mini Link app. God, that's a lot of words. Um, to now take the f- screenshots from your Switch using the sharing QR code on the Switch, put them into the app, guzzy them up with some special uh, frames and themes and filters around Mario, Animal Crossing, and new Pokemon Snap, and then print them out. So it's kind of this hybrid of like two previous physical photo projects Nintendo had in there. Uh, you know, in their arsenal in the 90s. They had the screenshot printing with the Pokemon Snap stations at Blockbuster. 
And this is like the 21st century version of that. It even comes out on the same day as new Pokemon Snap. And then they also had the frames and editing of the Game Boy Camera and printer, which your phone's now the Game Boy Camera and the printer is, you know, the Game Boy printer. So it, 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 it's kind of a fun little wacky side project, it feels like, for them. Um, it's going to work with any Instax Mini. You don't need to buy the Nintendo-themed ones. But they are doing those two special ones to kind of celebrate the collaboration. Huge missed opportunity to not um, do a Zelda-themed one considering it's called the Mini Link. But what are you going to do? Uh, but yeah, what I find kind of interesting about this is, again, Nintendo never gives up on an idea. I mean, usually when I say that, they go bigger than the prior attempt. Like Virtual Boy becomes 3DS. It's going to be the name of a book you write. It, I know. It's 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 going to be my memoir. <laughs> the life story of Jason. Nintendo never gives never up an idea. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Yeah, but oh god, why did I just say that back? Anyway. Yeah, so Virtual Boy becomes 3DS, E-Rear becomes Amiibo. You know, that's kind of their MO. You could argue GameCube, Game Boy, Link, become, Link Cable becomes Wii U. Uh, but here it's interesting because Nintendo took what was a big 90s trend, photo sharing, but now understands that so much of it has moved online that any attempt to really revive it in a meaningful way is actually now rather niche. So we're not seeing a huge marketing push like the Game Boy printer had. We're not seeing the massive physical presence of the Pokemon Snap blockbuster kiosk, but we are seeing them taking an opportunity to toy with an idea of physical photos in the more niche like space that now exists for it. Like they're leveraging an existing camera and its branding. They're, you know, do, do all their games still have online photo sharing as the main feature. New Pokemon Snap has a whole like ranking system for them. Animal Crossing obviously has it. But this is like, hey, if you like photos, like so do we at Nintendo. So here you go. Have fun with it. Um, I think what makes a little less sense than the idea of why it exists is uh, the pricing. It's a hundred. I mean, I get it. It's it's a printer, but it's a hundred bucks for the standard or switch colored Instamax Mini, and a hundred twenty for the one that has the Pikachu frame around it. Which maybe I'm not the right demo for this, but it seems kind of high, especially when you factor in that twenty photos, like a roll of twenty, costs fourteen bucks, meaning you're paying a buck forty two for every single image you print, which is more than the Pokemon it stations. Is, but I mean, the alternative is to you know go through that process of sending it to your phone, or I guess tweet them out and then print them up from your computer. Well, see, so you still have to send it paper. to your. You still have to scan it by yeah, you scan yeah. it to your phone. But yeah, like funny enough, the thing I'm almost well, or you could tweet it. But yeah, that's right, the other. right. That's true. The thing I'm more like on board with is I kind of want to just download their free app and just mess with the filters and mess with the frames and stuff, and then just save those images di- digitally. Like I don't need. The physical ones, but I do like the idea of like kind of cropping Pokemon Snap photos or like adding some silly filter or you know like that. That could be kind of fun. But then I, I'm sure there's no harm people. in just doing that. Yeah, yeah. But is anyone gonna buy one well, may- for a hundred bucks? Nope. Well, not me. <laughs> I wasn't even. I wasn't even planning on getting Pokemon Snap, so I guess really not. you're not. Hmm. I am. I don't know what made you think I would. I don't know, actually. You, there's no reason you would. <laughs> I have no idea. I, mean, I liked. I liked the first one, but I think that's kind of what you could leave it as. Like I just liked it. Mm. It was just like, like, yeah, it was fun. But I, I'm not really looking forward looking forward to replaying it or. I don't know if there's like a, a bunch of chat outs in the level, maybe. But I mean, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, I'll wait it up next. Yeah, Friday. let me know. Keep me posted. Yeah, and and yeah. honestly, the printer's like a pretty good stopping point for this episode in terms of like topics because it's sort of bridge into our next one where yeah. I will have impressions of new Pokemon Snap. Um, yeah. I mean, the sub reality kind of is like as nice as like the animations and interactions look in that game. It's like, yeah, I'm still getting to Monster Hunter. 
there's still some Smash positioning going on. Like, I need to be extremely selective with what games I get. Because like, there's only so the much fact, time. Like, I'm just, yeah, we're only, we're only here in this world for so long. And, I mean, Ace Attorney comes out in July, so, geez, I have to finish that. We're still playing some Tales games. God. But, yeah. The Tales of Rise just had a release date, too. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's September. Yep. Yeah. Except this time, I'm going to buy it once it's on sale. Because I've made the, you know, the bad choice of getting the last four Tales games on release day. And then just not playing them. (laughs) Well, yeah, we're slowly getting to them. We haven't, we just started one of the four, but you know, like by the time we start them, they're like 1999 new. Right. So yeah. Right. Tales of Rise also isn't multiplayer too. So you'll be fine there. It's not. No. Have you seen the way to drop a bomb on him at the end here? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I haven't seen anything about it because I figure, like, what's the point in looking into them if I'm not going to get to it? Well, the point like, is it, to it know if like it's a, not multiplayer. <laughs> it looks clearly. like a totally different game series as um, far as, like, combat and stuff like that goes. Damn, we usually get these because they're multiplayer. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe the Switch no. one will be multiplayer, I guess, whichever Tales game that ends up being. Whichever and whenever. That thing was announced ages ago. Yeah, but Wait, I mean, the they're just getting series? this one out there. Yeah, they announced the Tales series will be coming to the Nintendo Switch, and that's as far as I got. Has there been any yeah. ports of any of the games? Nope. Weirdly. Um, just the... Uh, oh, I mean, we have Tales of Vesperia on the Switch. Do we? Which is a, Wasn't that the 3DS yeah. that came to... Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Just Tales of Abyss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. the the, ex- the used-to-be Xbox exclusive that now got ported to everything. I feel like they're at the point in Which the Tales... Which was apparently also a really good one. I feel like they're at the point of the Tales series lineage and the nostalgia lineage and the 90s and early 2000s trend where they could totally do a remaster, a quick and dirty remaster of Tales of Symphonia and have it sell pretty well. They, I mean, it's still the best selling Tales that, game like in the last, US. It, no, but on Switch. They did that on Switch. On Switch. Because yeah. all the Nintendo people loved the GameCube get... one. So. Yeah, apparently the PS3 HD remakes or whatever were also based on the PC port, which apparently was also really bad. So, so again, the... my, my original statement still stands that they should remaster the GameCube one and bring it to Switch. Because okay. the other one was a failure, I that guess. Was... Or not failure, but didn't do what it was supposed to do for fans. Yeah, it just had performance issues or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But... Yeah. Well, we can hope. But they better take their time with it because, yeah, still got a while to go. <laughs> and it sounds like Pokemon Snap is not part of that journey for you. Nope. But it will be for me. Kevin, are you getting Pokemon Snap? Nope. Okay, it will be a journey for me and me alone, and you can hear all about it on the next episode of the Random Tale Podcast. Um, plus, oh, you guys are going to love the next I do episode. Expect you to, I do expect you to post pictures of Bidoof. And oh, dude, for else. sure. Yeah, I'm only going to post pictures of Bidoof. Are you kidding? We have so many Better Bidoof pictures. Better name them as well. We have so many Bidoof pictures. I, I still can't get over that the Pokemon Company on April Fool sent an email that just said Bidoof in the subject line, Bidoof on the call to action button, Bidoof in the body, and just had a picture of Bidoof. That was it. And all it did was link to a fan cam video of Bidoof, like a minute and a half just music medley of Bidoof. It was great. It was the best. I don't think there's anything else to say in this episode after that, like how you top that. So I'm just going to wrap it. Yeah, I'm Pokemon Snap. Yeah. Next episode. Also next episode, Nintendo's full fiscal year financial report is going to be out. Comes out on my birthday. Thanks, Nintendo. What a gift. Oh, so, uh, yeah, expect numbers. some... <laughs> what? 
That just means numbers. Uh, well, no, it doesn't just mean numbers because you there's potential when they do the fiscal year ones um, to also include some news. So we'll see. And if it's numbers, we'll try and make it a little more than just numbers. Um, but that all arrives on May 9th, which is the perfect Mother's Day gift. Um, but first, on May 2nd, which is this coming uh, weekend, the return of Quarantine Chronicles after quite the hiatus. Because, uh, you know, the Angel and Jason Power Hour, as glorious as it was, does not count as a QC. But now Season two, here. baby. Yeah, here we go. So to make sure you don't miss QC, to make sure you don't miss uh, the next episode, to make sure you don't miss any other surprise Power Hours, subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora. We're also on YouTube. RamNintendo.com is our channel. And you can follow us individually on, on the Twitters. I am JSR7. Angel is W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And speaking of Kevin, you're up. Final word. Sparkling ice for life. <laughs> <laughs>